A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 260 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, secondary board division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, as well as Stitcher, even Spotify, as well as right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like Han Solo's luck, the doctor of timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane. If only I had that luck myself... I would, I, I would be tre- treasuring it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. All the house, the house woes that you've been dealing with lately. Ah, uh, Jim, Jim, Jim. You're like uh, living in Dagobah right now, right? Like, uh, no, I'm, uh, I, I'm more living in the uh, Raxus Prime of, uh, of locations where my entire house is torn apart and every day gets worse and worse. Um, <laughs> We're, we have no air ducts in the house when we moved in, and so we, well, we're getting geothermal uh, heat and cooling, um, and they're putting air ducts in as part of it, so they're ripping out all the drywall in our finished basement, so now it is a definished basement. Oh. And the latest uh, uh, thing to come up is the fact that they want where they want to put the air ducts, uh, there's a structural support post right in the middle of it hidden inside of a wall like they cleared out the wall and they're like yeah that's gonna be an issue (laughs) and so it's like i'm like uh yeah i'm not terribly surprised like of course it is it's 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 just what it is it's uh... you got canon han solo luck and you need legends on solo (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh yeah now me i uh i've been watching my family shrink uh Took my oldest up to college. She's going to uh, Central Oregon Community College up in Bend. Beautiful. Well, she's, it's, your family's not shrinking. It's just getting stretched apart. That's Yeah, that's true. And, and that's what I got to remind myself. I came home in a funk, dude. <laughs> I was like, I got home and I looked at, I saw her bedroom door and it's just like, man, she's not here. I'm like, I can't go talk. To, so I tried to send her a message. And of course, you know, it's, I'm waiting for her to get it. I'm like, oh, this sucks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's hard, man. No one said you had to let them go. I mean, I guess that was the end all be all of having children was eventually they grow out of your house. Right. Like they can't all pull the uh, uh, what was his name from the Big Bang Theory that lived with his mom. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, that's, that's it's probably better if eventually they leave. The, 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 they become obnoxious after a while. Well, right. And so I'm like, you know, I got I got one out and my son, he's 18 months behind her. But I. My daughter, the oldest, she's like the starfighter pilot. You know, she wants to go out there and blaze the the path for everybody else and have them all come and fall. Whereas my son's like 
the chef. Like, he just wants to stay on the ship and get the next meal ready for everybody. Like, you know, just leave me alone. I'm over here. I'm good. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how far the rest of the family spreads. It might be another 10 years before the littlest is like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. My, my daughter is about a little older than uh, your youngest. So uh, we, we still have a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Boy, and that was that was I think probably the hardest part was her the littlest one taken because we brought her with us to take the oldest, and as soon as we left, it was just sobs all the way down the hill. Like it's gonna be okay. No, no. <laughs> yeah, we were we were a wreck. <laughs> but speaking of wrecks, uh, we've got something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, th- Speaking th- of is... crashing and burning, right, uh... right. <laughs> let's punch it. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we plunge into the Alphabet Squadron Trilogy by Alexander Free. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we're going to give you a quick spoiler-free rundown of all three books. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. All right. The Emperor is dead. His final weapon has been destroyed. The Imperial Army is in disarray. In the aftermath, Yurika Quell is just one of thousands of defectors from her former cause, living in a deserter shantytown. Uncertain about her place in the Republic she once fought against, she has begun to lose any hope for redemption until she is selected to join Alphabet Squadron. Cobbled together from an eclectic assortment of pilots and starfighters, the five members of Alphabet, are tasked by New Republic General Hera Syndulla herself. Like Eureka, each of the talented pilot with a past full of violence and loss, their mission to track down and destroy the mysterious Shadow Wing, a lethal force of TIE fighters exacting bloody, merciless vengeance in the twilight of their reign. The newly formed unit embodies the heart and soul of the rebellion, ragtag, resourceful, scrappy, and emboldened by their most audacious victory in decades. But going from underdog rebels to celebrated heroes isn't as easy as it seems, and their inner demons threaten them as much as their enemies among the stars. The wayward warriors of Alphabet Squadron have to learn to fly together to protect the new era of peace they've fought so hard to achieve. That sounds interesting. That sounds exciting. It does. I don't necessarily know if that's... A good description of the book would, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot more promise in that description than what we get. <laughs> I feel like, so I think this is the first time this show, like clearly before I came on here, has ever done like a trilogy within one episode. Right. Now, if and, we'd have been smart, we might have done similar with Aftermath, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. The reason we ended up doing a trilogy is, one, we never got around to doing the first couple of books. And then now that the third book's out, it's just easier to do them all three together. But I think as a trilogy, it um, I'm much more going to be much more positive on it as a trilogy as opposed to going through it book by book. Because book Good by point. book, 
there are several major issues that I have with the story and the way that it was written. And so as a trilogy, you can get a lot more of the the good out of it. Yeah, I think that was a big deciding factor for me as well, because like. I, I, it's not a bad story, right? Like, I, I have a feeling like this episode, from my perspective, is going to come across like this is a bad. But I, I felt like there were a lot of opportunities that were missed that could have enhanced what we got. And I think that it might be a little unfair of me because the one book series that I lean against this one would be the Wraith Squadron and the Rogue Squadron books. And compared to those, I don't know if any canon squadron story could stand up to those. I mean, those were just really well written. So, like, that's kind of like the pinnacle of what I think of Starfighter books, you know. And so these books have moments of that. But when you go from, you know, the first book, Alphabet Squadron, and you get into Shadowfall, I felt like things really kind of fell apart for a lot of the characters that I was enjoying from the first book in the second book, so much so that by the third book, I was like, is there any hope of redeeming these characters in my eyes? That was rough. Um, The timeline of events, by the time I got to the third book, it became more solid. But in the first two books, I was still kind of questioning, you know, like, when is Jakku happening? You know, when did Operation Cinder take place compared to the, the, the moment we're at? By the time we get to the last book, it all makes a lot more sense. Um, by the last book, I really I felt like what Freed should have focused on the whole time would have been Hera. I felt like this series is a great series if you're after details about Harris and Dula and what she has been up to. I mean, granted, the first two books, she is light in it. The third book, she factors a lot more. But overall, in the grand scheme of what these books do for the timeline of Star Wars events, this is your Hera story. And I I think that that was the one downside, was how they factored that and made that the focus. If they'd have made her the main character instead of Yerika Quell, I think this would have been a much better story. It would have been deeper. It would have had more complexity to it. Um, And you could have still played with the Yerika Quell angle, but done it from Hera's point of view. And I think that, that would have made it more where you really wonder what she was doing. By the second book, you're kind of like, is she a, a, a double agent? Like, like, you know, you don't know what's going on with her. As the descriptor talks about, you know, she's out of her sorts. But you find out later, like, she was ordered to leave the Empire. She didn't actually just, like, bail like a lot of other people did. So it put her in a unique position going in. Uh, and a lot of the way Freed wrote things, there were a lot of little mysteries being dropped throughout the books that a lot of them I felt like never got any payoff. And some of them, the payoff was so long coming that I'd forgotten about the mystery. It wasn't until it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's that whole thing going on with uh, what's her butt, uh, Karoa or, or Kara. Or, or, can't think. And that's Karen. the other thing. Yeah, Karen, I need damn character list. I've been going on and on and on and on and on and on and on about this since Disney took over, but a book like this desperately needs it. I mean, Freed was throwing so many characters at us. It was hard to keep up. Didn't know who was in which squadron. Their squadrons were being thrown around. Like it was definitely loaded when it came to details, but it was like the wrong types of details. It was detail rich, but the type of details that don't matter to the story, but they only matter to the universe. It was character heavy, but it lacked all the depth of detail you needed in that aspect. I was like, man, like I tried to like these characters 
And it just kept shifting. Like, Will Lark was a character I really liked. Then the second book came, and I'm like, I don't know. Do I like Will? I, third book came around, and I was really liking Will, but I felt like the Will that we got in the third book was so vastly different from the Will that we got in the first two books that I was like, how did this character even get to this point? Like, it, And I guess, like, in one aspect, that's probably a good thing because it does show the desperate nature of the New Republic. But, damn, man, these books really show you how desperate the New Republic was all the way across the board. Like, you know, this isn't the New Republic of Legends that came in and they take over course. They're still struggling to make a name for themselves. And they went from rebel underdog to, you know, now the upstanding heroes. And they're really not like when they, they get to a couple other planets later. And there's even a whole, you know, backstory about the citizens of the planet wondering who to root for. Who's here to help us? Is it the New Republic or is it the Empire? And like. The families are divided. Like, I thought that was interesting, but the way that Freed wrote so many aspects of it, there was just so much happening. And yet at the same time, I felt like there was nothing to bring a focus to it to make it where it clicked for me. I felt like it was like I was looking at one of those 90s posters that you're supposed to relax your eyes and you'll see a sailing ship. But I could never see anything more than the bow of the ship. <laughs> yeah, it's a schooner. <laughs> That's a callback to a movie. Mall rats. <laughs> not a schooner. Sorry. Um, the timeline for this book is interesting because it takes place, or the, the series of books, it takes place a year, up to a year after Return of the Jedi. And so we have the Battle of Jakku, which is exactly a year after... Um, Return of the Jedi, and so you have that four to five year time period uh, with it after, within the canon. So four to five after the Battle of Yavin, and so the first book takes place immediately or about a month after Operation Cinder, and this whole series relies on Operation Cinder and your knowledge of Operation Cinder, kind of like the Mandalorian relied on your opera, uh, knowledge of Operation Cinder. Even though most of the people watching The Mandalorian have no clue what Operation Cinder is. And how close to The Mandalorian are we in time? Because I mean, these are pretty close in time frame. I'd say The Mandalorian probably comes out like a week to maybe two weeks before these books. At least that's a feeling I got. No, Mandalorian's way later. It's nine ABY. So it's like four years after the end of uh, oh. after the Battle of Jakku. Like we oh. we do get several jumps in time when we get to the end of the third book, kind of uh, like their final part. Uh, each section is a jump in time by several years at, at, by the last one. Um, but yeah, the Mandalorian's nowhere near um, this one. I guess relatively speaking, uh, it could be close if you're looking at like the High Republic is nowhere near this either. Well, I mean, I was my main thought on that was just uh, Gideon's troops, you know, because they're not part of the First Order. Uh, and, and that was kind of what was going on with this. It's like, OK, you're sitting there questioning, OK, when does, you know, the Jakku battle happen? When do they start pulling off? And by the time you get to Victory's Price, we actually get Ray Sloan. Uh, we get that whole battle. Like, I mean, that third book, you know, if you're going to grab any one of these books, that's the one to grab. I mean, that one for me, that had all the main details. You read that one, you might be interested more about how they got there enough to grab the first two and enjoy them a little bit more than what I got. As I was reading them, it was like there was mystery after mystery after mystery. And I was just 
between that and all the extra characters and all the locations, it was, it was too much homework is what I felt like was going on. Uh, lots of references to stuff that, like, you know, if you're in the know, was pretty cool. There were some uh, references to some of the video games and stuff. All sorts of references like that. That's stuff that was flying over my head that I was hoping you were able to catch up on and, and point out to me, too. But, you know, in some ways it, it, it felt like you're sitting there looking at... Uh, you know, one of those um, Lucino books, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it, it just, it fell short. And Alexander Freed is, is someone that puts characters into stories that generally I like, but I just, I just felt like this one was so depth missing on the small things. Yeah. You know, it's like, so like I said, this, this trilogy takes place over that year's time span. And the first series of books that I know you didn't, enjoy i actually really enjoyed with the aftermath trilogy they were the first series of books that take the exact same time span where the last book ends on the battle of jakku just like this series and so really they are like a deck of cards that fold together to make a more complete story and mixed in here you're exactly right there is the squadrons video game and it's mostly the second book Actually, I think it's entirely the second book that overlaps with the Squadrons video game. So you get Hera in this, in the second book, but she leaves. And she leaves to go do the Squadrons video game, essentially. That's where she is at that time. And so you you do have a lot of bouncing around between other stories. And like I said, Operation Cinder, which we saw in the Shattered Empire comic series, takes place about a month after Return of the Jedi. And that's where... Um, not, it's not going to spoil these books because it's more going to spoil that comic series, but it's where right. the uh, Emperor sends oh, out these uh, these droids that have the... the messenger droids. Yeah, yeah, messenger droids that have the Emperor's face projected onto the like a glass dome of these droids, and it delivers a message basically to annihilate everybody, to um, go to various planets and raise them to the ground. Obviously, that was defeated. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I question more about the messenger droid after Rise of Skywalker. I'm like, maybe it wasn't a recording. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's a that's always been a question of what are these droids? Where did they come from? And that plays into these books a lot. Operation Cinder mm-hmm. plays into these books. It keeps coming back up because Erica Quell was a part of Operation Cinder. She partook in that. Um, Karen Aiden, not Karen Aiden, um, Soren uh, Keys. Um, Soren Keys, right. who's the, the TIE fighter uh, general in the second two books, um, kind of mentioned in the first book in like these off uh, sideways. Um, right. We, he's the one that ordered her out. I think that yes. was about it. Yeah. And so he was also a part of Operation Cinder, and that keeps coming back up throughout the series. And so by the end of the series, you're right. We get a lot of the answers to these questions that we've been having throughout the series, but we don't get the answers along the way, which makes it both confusing and one of those, oh, yeah. That was a question that we had that we never got an answer to. I'm glad we finally got an answer to it because I completely forgot it was even a question. See, and that was as I was going through my show notes for this and refreshing myself. I'm like, there's whole plots with the Jedi Temple on one planet and like a Sith Temple on an asteroid and Yurika Quell almost having Force sensitivity. Like it was all there, but like they never 
touched on any of it. I'm like, what was the point? There were a lot of moments throughout this story where I was like, what was the point of that? Like the whole in book two, I think the thing that really drove me nuts was the cult. And at one mm-hmm. moment I was like, oh, cool. You know, the, the children of the force son or something like that. Like they were like some kind of force cult, but they weren't. And it just, it, all it seemed to do was just derail Chaz's character. She went from being a character that I thought was really cool in the first book. Second book, I was like, what have you done with her? The third book, I was just like, can you salvage her at this point? Because like, she went from being somebody who thought was a total badass to like, this girl is just... Um, and I mean, I, I, if that's the thing Alexander Freed was trying to show us is that war you know, screws people up, congratulations, you did it. But I... I, I that, that wasn't as entertaining for me as I was hoping it would be in that side of things. Uh, but Soren Keys was definitely a character that I enjoyed so much so that there were times where I was like, am I rooting for the wrong side here? Uh, yeah. it, and I, and I don't know, maybe that was what Alexander Freed was going for was to write it in a way where you weren't sure who you were rooting for. Um, because like you said, the, the aspect of Cinder coming up and the way the new Republic was persecuting people that, participated in those atrocities atrocities you know how that was going to play out for quell what she was going to do because she was keeping that a secret only certain people knew about it the more people that knew about it the more it complexed things for her like how was she gonna you know get move out of here so there were there was so much at play that you know there were things about it that i really did like so that's you know that was where i was like when we do this you know i don't want to crap on it so I'm, i'm glad we did it in three books because the downside of each book was big enough that I think that it would have made each book by himself come across a lot lower in depth. Um, For me, like like you said, you really enjoyed aftermath. I enjoyed this book series a lot more than what I did aftermath. And I'm like, you know, if you, if for me, if I had to pick between the two, I would read this one over aftermath. Um, I mean, although I don't know if you would have to choose one or the other, they both do, complement that event in different ways but they're totally different writing styles um yes so it's, uh, it's tough to say which one is better <laughs> yeah they are very different writing styles and that is part of where i come on this book and i could see like where you're coming on the books because aftermath is a very um quickly paced story Uh, The way it's written, it's very quickly paced, and he uses very short sentences to the point where some of them aren't even sentences. And the the way that that works is it gets your, like, when you're reading, you're very quickly reading it because the shorter sentences you can get through a lot quicker. You feel like the pace is very quick. Alexander Freed is the polar opposite of that. And the way I've always described these books is why use five words to describe something when you can use 30. (laughs) Well, and then on top of that, like there were things that he would do that made me scratch my head. And the biggest one was the 61st mobile infantry. They were brought up multiple times throughout the story, not just by the narrator, but by characters. The thing about the 61st mobile infantry, they were in Alexander Freed's own book, Twilight Company. And yet every time they are brought up in every instance in this, they're never called Twilight Company. They're always the 61st Mobile Infantry. And I'm just like, what the, like, I don't know why that bothers me so much, but that really, really bothers me. I'm like, dude, 
one, it's your own creation. I mean, come on. How do you forget the damn name? And then two, everyone else is going by names. Like you got uh, Meteor Squad, Hail Squad, uh, you know, all these different squadrons and stuff. But yet, even Will Lark is calling them by the 60. I just, that, that was such a moment for me that I'm just like, I couldn't, I couldn't do that moment. I was pissed. I was pissed, Jim. <laughs> well, that's like, uh, going into these books, I was actually really excited because I love Twilight Company. He also did the novelization of Rogue One, which I loved. Mm-hmm. The way he mm-hmm. the way he writes military and action sequences is phenomenal, and I was so excited for this series. Mm-hmm. But the first book is my least favorite by far of the, this trilogy, and the reason, like I said, is that the way he writes, I forget what the sentence is about by the time he gets to the end of the sentence. Right. And it yeah, makes it, that. it makes it very difficult, especially when you're listening to it through audiobooks, which is how I've been taking in a lot of these books lately, because um, that's with everything that I'm doing. That's the only way I have time to go through any of these books. Mm-hmm. And so I listening to these sentences, I get so lost in the sentence that I don't know what's going on. And the first part of the second book, uh, which is Shadowfall, I had the same problem to the point where I was listening three and a half hours into the book. I literally could not tell you a thing that was happening. I had no idea. (laughs) And I so I'm like, I can either start reading this book physically or go back and start again. And so I went back and started again. And I understood a little better, but I still was having problems paying attention. But after about that point things started to get cleared up. And I don't know if I got used to his writing style, which I don't think that was it. I think he actually started to clean up the way he was writing the sentences a little by that point. So it got to, I was able to understand what was happening. And I enjoyed the the, the last three quarters of Shadowfall and the final book, uh, Victory's Price, a billion times more than I liked the first book, because I could understand what was happening. And I by the third book, the characters, like even though I may not have liked most of the characters or many of the characters, I understood them by the third book, and I understood right. what Freed was going for. He was not doing the Wraith Squadron, Rogue Squadron books. He was not. Even though it was compared right. to that at the beginning, that is 100% not what he was doing. Those books are grounded by characters that are happy-go-lucky, pranksters, get along great, kind of like the the they're like the the guys you see in the locker room, kind of um, teasing around and stuff. These characters in Freed's books are broken. They are right. broken by war. They are tired of the war. They aren't having fun in the first book, and it keep progressively gets worse and worse. And worse, and they are these messed up characters that the war keeps churning through, and it's meant to show us these messed up how war really destroys um, people. Even if they come back, they're not the same that they were. They are broken shells of their former selves. And if you understand that, you can get a lot more out of the books. But it doesn't mean that you're going to like the books more because this is not what you're expecting when you're going in. Right. It, it's it's interesting the way you put that, too, because one of my notes in there was how when I first read Zahn's books and, 
you know, he was talking about hyperspace and all these other technologies and they were words I'd never seen before and in uses. I, I had no idea how they were being used. And by the time I got to the second book in the Thrawn trilogy, I was starting to kind of like understand it more. By the time I got to the third one, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, it didn't slow me down at all. But I had those same type of moments when it came to free writing on this where I'm just like, you know, is it me or is it just the way he's doing it? But by the time I got to the second, third book, it was the same thing. I was like, okay, this works out. When you mentioned that you thought the first one was the weakest, I had to question my own thought on this because I honestly I felt like it was Shadowfall. But then I stopped and I thought about, you know, what you're, what you're mentioning, how, you know, this is their story. They were struggling. They were at their wits end. And honestly, Shadows Fall has probably one of the moments that I enjoyed the most out of the overall trilogy. And that was after Hera left when they were in that battle in that one sector. And Will kind of is forced to, to slowly start taking leadership role. Nath's kind of pushing him into that way because I really enjoyed Nath. Nath was a character that I felt resonated with myself in a lot of ways you know he's like really good at leading but doesn't want to do it at all <laughs> totally me yeah. um he's a um he he's really the arrogant blowhard of the group <laughs> yes, yes and his relationship with his droid was cool i the only thing i didn't like about nath was his reluctance on that y-wing i kept i kept thinking like dude like why would anybody in their right mind ever want to fly a Y-Wing, especially in a battle where you're probably going to die. And yet his Y-Wing was so bad, like he would literally have to almost rebuild the damn thing from ground up after every mission. And then eventually by the time you get to Victory's Price, like they're at, at battles so often that he can't, like it's just falling apart around him. Like, oh my God, this guy's screwed. Well, the benefit of a Y-Wing is that it's mostly just a steel frame that if anybody tries <laughs> to shoot you, it's just going to go through the empty spaces. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, exactly. So when we get to that moment where Hera leaves and they're kind of basically abandoned by the leadership, like I think that when that happens in Shadows Fall, that really pushes Alphabet Squadron into the position of leadership that we see at the end of Victory's Price. And the way that that coalesces at the end, I really appreciated that. That was a really cool uh, ride. One thing, though, that I have to say from the get-go, the title... And the use of the squadron the way they did, I felt like that was 100% a gimmick. And by gimmick, I mean out-of-universe gimmick. This was a marketing gimmick. Hey, you know, let's let's do alphabet squadron, and, and the squadron can be made of a U-wing, an X-wing, an A-wing, a B-wing, and all these different wings. Like, sounds cool and all, but as you watch in the book, when your ships break down, that's not really helpful. You know, you like, where do you get the parts for the ships? Like... It didn't make a lot of strategic sense to have a unit like this. Whereas, like, in Legends, when you had Wraith Squadron being introduced, it was, you know, let's have, instead of, you know, good pilots that happen to be, you know, a, you know spies and this, that, and the other thing, let's get people that are spies and this thing and the other thing first and then make them pilots. Um, that worked. Whereas this, like, the whole Alphabet Squadron thing, like, it just never, all the way through the book series them being in different ships just never quite worked from a strategic point of view. Like it just didn't work at all. And there were times where I felt like free didn't really know his ships that well. Cause like Chas and her B wing was constantly talked down. 
like, you know, oh, she blew up this ship, but she shouldn't have been able to. And I'm just like, weren't B-Wings like like the upgraded bomber? Like they were a powerhouse. And yet hers was never really considered much of a powerhouse. It was like the way she flew it made it more of a powerhouse. Uh, but yeah, a lot of weird stuff like that when it came to the ships where I was just like, well, that don't make sense. And the lack of Rogue Squadron drove me nuts. I'm like, not a reference one. Like, I I got the feeling that when it comes to squadrons in the new canon, they're not as reverent. Um, Legends, you know, they built up Rogue Squadron, and, and part of it was building the legend of Rogue Squadron. You know, like, oh, God, the rogues are here. We're we're screwed. There is nothing like that. There's not even really a reference to something like that. Like, in fact, in Shadowfall, the only thing you get that could be even considered like that would be Hera herself because they use Hera as the bait for their trap. Uh, And and I guess they do that again, too, later in Victory's Price. But the idea that they were the Imperials were trying to kill Hera so bad that that became their like big goal was exciting for me. That's, that's where I was like, man, this could definitely have been Hera's story and they could have played the hell out of it. Like, I I definitely feel like if, if she would have been the focus, I would have gotten a hell of a lot more out of this story for sure. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you that the Alphabet Squadron moniker did seem very gimmicky. Like, let's get all these different types of ships together, form a squadron from it, and it would be cool because, like, you have, like, you can say you have an X-Wing, a B-Wing, a U-Wing. And a U-Wing as part of a squadron literally doesn't make any sense if you know anything about a U-Wing. It's it's basically a troop transport. And they tried, or I guess Freed tried, but by the third book, there is no squadron. Like, they even called that, like, Alphabet Squadron is made up of just... um will and nath by that book and even then he's like it's basically a defunct squadron um erica never even gets into an x-wing that entire book right and uh i I remember you were complaining so much about the term alphabet when it first came out you're like (laughs) alphabet they're they're but they're in a galaxy far far away and (laughs) right let me let me clear this up for anybody who has that misconception an alphabet <laughs> is literally just a series of letters within a language. It doesn't need to be a English language. It could be a right. Cyrillic alphabet. Any alphabet, the alphabet just means the letters in a language or letters in a written language. It doesn't even need to be the um, spoken language that it is. And it could be numbers if you've made a numbered language, right? It, <laughs> c- correct. It could be anything. And it, this isn't Oribesh, even if you're going to say like the Oribesh alphabet, it's not Oribesh. We know what Oribesh looks like. That is a different type of alphabet. And they actually called out what alphabet this was. It's the high galactic alphabet, which is uses the A, the X, the B, um, and the U as the, the, the symbols where these X-Wing came from, which is clearly, I'm guessing, High Galactic is the same as our English uh, alphabet or uh, the, the Latin alphabet. Aha! Aha! Interesting. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's kind, kind of where, where that comes from. So alphabet, is it's not a misnomer to call it Alphabet Squadron, but it is misleading because they're not... Re- I, I have more problem with the word squadron <laughs> than anything right. in that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the, they, and the, th- the fact that they were called a working group bit them in the butt. Like, I, I felt like Kearns, the way he approached them 
worked for him, but once he was out of the picture, it was like, you guys are hosed. Like the, the, the fact that Will Lark was in the position of authority that he was by book three was just a testament to the battles that they had been in and the respect that everyone alive gave him. <laughs> like, there's no reason why that kid, literally kid, should have ever been put in charge. But I mean, they had nobody. And I think that was the thing about Shadows Fall that I didn't consider when I was originally going to say that, that that was the weakest book. Because you're right. Alphabet Squadron, the first book, is the weakest. The second one, when they show Hera leave and you see that there really is no leadership and you're like, it gets thrust on Will Lark so much so that the reader's even like, wait, what? Why? Nah, dude, really? And Nath is like the one person that's like reason, but he's also like... I don't want to do, I should be doing this, but I don't want to do it. Hey, Nat, hey, uh, or, uh, Will, Will should do it. Will's a good kid. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all get behind Will. Like Nat's is kind of a dick. <laughs> and it's exactly, that's his character. Will was a green behind the ears kid. And Nath was the, the dick who basically put on Will what he didn't himself didn't want to do. <laughs> right. And, there was aspects as each of these characters had a backstory. Some of them were mostly tragic. Um, Wills was interesting because he came from a planet where flying and pilots and stuff was, you know, favored, but he was also from a planet where they didn't really believe much in fighting wars. They were more on the pacifistic side. And by the last book, like they're literally like, you're the last of our people that went off to war to come back. You need to come back. And like, that's weighing on him. Like I did enjoy the internal thoughts of the characters. I just was so out of my depth going through it because of the way that certain mysteries were presented and how long it took to have any kind of a payout. You know, like I said, with the whole Jedi temple and the Sith temple, I'm like, I, I thought those were going to play in some form or fashion. Like looking back on, it, I'm like, those entire scenes could have probably been cut completely out of the book. And, and there were lots of little scenes like that where I'm like, that really wasn't needed. And I guess that's where, when you're looking at this as a trilogy, it's like, that's where you could, you could compact this down into one really big book. Like there were, if you cut out every scene that didn't enhance the characters or the galaxy, you know, story, cut those all out. You could easily fit this into one story. And I think that it could have been better served. But again, that's also kind of a lot of problems I had with the Aftermath trilogy. So far in the new canon, the trilogy books don't really build off each other in a way that delivers for me. Like, I have I have yet to have a trilogy one that, that springs to mind where I'm like, yeah, that's a great trilogy. Like, the ones that do aren't really marketed as a trilogy. Like, the Thrawn books are two trilogies so far, but they weren't really marketed as trilogies. It's more like it's an ongoing series. Um, but yeah, I... I I definitely feel like there is a lack of through on a lot of these type of trilogies. And even when it's one author doing it, I'm just like, how, how do you not pick up on these threads, man? Yeah, I So I was actually trying to think of, I'm like, what are their trilogies are there? But you're right. The Thrawn series, um, which will be the sixth book coming out in November, uh, that, that, that is two trilogies. They did market the second one as a, a trilogy where the first one was the first book and then a trilogy kind of got built up around it. And I find the most interesting thing about this series, the Alphabet Squadron, is that it's based on characters that we don't know. And they don't typically 
do that in the books. Uh, Aftermath is really the most notable example of a series of books that is built on characters we don't know. Even though Han and Chewie are in it, um, it's not based on those characters. Alphabet Squadron, even more so, is not based on characters we know, where Hera is the primary example of a character that we know from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, 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 I've, I've agreed that this should have been recentered around Hera. Like, I think it would have been interesting if she was more the forefront. She kind of builds up in steam throughout the, the series of books, where by the third book, she is a major character within the book. But the first two books, mm-hmm. she's barely there. And I think it would have been more interesting, more, more of a draw into the, the book series had she been there. And right. one thing that we didn't mention about this series is that the first book was touted as a crossover event with the comic series. Right. Oh, God. I'm literally yeah, looking fighter. at the cover of the first book, and it literally says on the cover of the first book, a Marvel and Del Rey crossover event. And the TIE Fighter comic series that came out, by the using the words crossover... You're indicating they take place at the same time. <laughs> they're, right? They're, the, the TIE Fighter um, comic takes place before Return of the Jedi, whereas this book takes place after Return of the Jedi. And so they, they, they can't cross over where most of the characters from the comic series don't even show up in this book. And they're all about the TIE Fighter pilots who we barely know anything about by the end of the third trilogy the end of the third book mm-hmm. there was there were i think it was squadron five was the one from the comic and in fact that's it like when they're referenced it's just squadron five <laughs> like wait uh that that was my definitely canon when it comes to those slap a title on the front the uh the road to a book is not a road to anything and the crossover events are Barely that. <laughs> yeah, I think that drove me mo- most nuts when they're like, it's a crossover with the comics. And I'm like, I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, you had mentioned before about how on the timeline these are shuffled. Uh, that's exactly how I put them on my timeline, uh, on my books. I, I went Aftermath and I went Alphabet Squadron, Aftermath, Alphabet, and literally just boom, 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 boom. Um, because I, I felt like it's it's wrong in my mind to put Victory's Price, or or should I say the first Alphabet Squadron after you get done with all the Battle of Jakku stuff. Like I, you got to split that up. And the fact that the timeline in the book is all like Alphabet Squadron trilogy, I'm like, no, 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 you got to break that up, man. Yeah, it's the little things. <laughs> that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I have certain crystals to help me let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jim, anything else spoiler free on the trilogy before we get into more of the deeper stuff? No, I think uh, I think I'm good. I hit all the points I wanted to. Excellent. Here at Star, where, <laughs> let me do where that. Where are we? <laughs> here, here in a place out in the uh, garage. All right, the nitty gritty. Well, let's start with part one. In this case, book one, Alphabet Squadron. Oh, here we go. Uh, 
you know, we've mentioned how there were so many, let's see, there was Riot Squadron, there was Hound Squadron, uh, there were so many squadrons thrown out there. Vanguard. Uh, we, Va- Vanguard. Yeah, like, Van- and I kept wondering about the tie-in with the game. Like, how come they didn't mention that? Like, they did. That's Vanguard Squadron. Um, no, no, I mean, oh. on the cover of one of these books, we don't have a, a Delray and uh, Lucas Games crossover event. <laughs> Actually, that would have been more apropos right? than with the comic series because they actually <laughs> took place at the same time and Hera bounced back and forth. And they even called out Vanguard Squadron multiple times, which is the squadron you are in in the game. Yeah. Yeah, and I I thought that was I thought was cool the way they were tying it in. Um, I had just gotten the game at that time. In fact, I haven't played through enough of the game to answer the question that I had here. But I was curious if in the game there was ever any references to the books or the battles that were happening in the books. And I I have no answer. I was like really hoping that I would have gotten through the game and found that out. But. Yeah, I, I my <laughs> Xbox is currently packed away still. We're uh, the the future game room um, currently has piles of stuff in it and is uh, um, not anywhere near a game room at the moment. So yeah, I haven't been. I, I wasn't able to finish it before we moved, and it, it has not come up again. <laughs> yeah, so they they become the Alphabet Squadron becomes the Shadow Wing group. Uh, there's a certain working type of group. group. Yeah, the certain. Yeah, the working group. Yeah, such a dumb name. And I, I felt like because Kern did that, that it kind of bit him in the butt a lot. It was like they didn't have an official name. Like if they would have been called a task force, I think that they would have had a little more authority when they were talking to representatives from the New Republic. Um, I, there was definitely a disconnect there. What Kern was doing, you know, like he was like a spy, but yet not everyone in the new Republic trusted him. Like, so there were some nebulous mysteries around a lot of characters as well as a lot of the events. Um, and then you add that to the complicated aspect of Quell's backstory with her participating in operation Cinder, who knew about that. Um, when Nath finds out about it, cause Nath keeps bringing that up. So it's kind of like a foil for her. And you question, you know, like, how devious is Nath going to be? Like, cause when Nath does that, that was kind of like the first time you're like, Oh, he's got like a darker side to him, you know, aside from just wanting to kill people. <laughs> it was interesting. Cause Nath was the spy that figured out Erica's backstory. And he's, he knew it the entire time he told, he, he was basically uh, directed by Karen to find out Erica's backstory. And he found it and he told Karen, and then he sat on it. And it was one of those that, like, is this going to come up again? And it does come up, but it never comes up through Nath. Right. And it, it, it keeps getting teased that Nath knows all about this, but it never goes anywhere from that. He's like, yeah, yeah I knew this the whole time, but nobody ever finds out that he knew about it the whole time. And it doesn't seem to make much of a difference that he knew about it the whole time. Right. Um, Chess, you know, I mentioned it in the spoiler free part. She likes to listen to music. I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, that that felt very real world to me. Um, I know like when most people play video games and they go off to war in their video game in that alternate reality, they like to rock out to music. I know when I'm rocking around in my car, I like to listen to music. So music and the activities you're doing kind of go hand in hand. So finally having a character in the Star Wars universe that likes to jam out to stuff. 
definitely made her warmer in my heart. Um, as that got replaced with the cult aspect, I did, I did not like what they did with Chaz's character. Like that was a character story progression and arc that just, she started out cool. And by the book's end, I, uh, I was not, not thrilled. I did like the aspect that she was a big fan of, uh, Jen Erso. Uh, mm-hmm. And she adopted Jen Erso's uh, moniker name that she was using. Uh, what I can't remember what that one was. Halleck. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Halleck. Yeah, I can't remember the first name off the top of my head. Yeah, she was going by that when she was on the planet and she had been saved. She lost her ship. And then you find out at the very end that actually the cult that saved her had her ship. You're like, you bastards. <laughs> but, like, the whole cult just was so left field that I was like, Leanna how Halleck. in that? Yeah. Leanna Halleck. Yeah. She, and she totally stole that name. I was like, I'm going to, I'm her. Um, but yeah, it was like, there was aspects of each character. Like I, Quell was a character that I was interested in, but she kept going back and forth so much that I was, I, I didn't know where her true allegiance was all the way through. I kept like, is she going to triple cross us? We're going to quadruple cross. Um, Will Lark was a character that I really enjoyed, but he had that naivety that was like, okay, this is, you know, he's like a Gavin Darklighter, and yet all of a sudden he's like Wedge Antilles. You know, I was like, oh, that seems a little odd. Nath's character was one that I thoroughly enjoyed all the way through. He's probably my favorite character. And then Karos was, was the one I was, I thought I used Kern's name, but it was Karos, I think is how you say her name. Kairos, yeah. The weird wrapped up alien that, like, we don't get any kind of resolution for her until the third book. And what we do get is just weird. Like, it's just super alien. Like, <laughs> you just accept it. Okay, she's an alien and this is what her species does. All right, we're just going to roll with it. But I that's where I kept wondering, like, if there was going to be a tie back to the Jedi stuff and the Sith stuff. Because it seemed like every time we were with her, those kind of things kind of came up in the story. But there was no connecting of those. Yeah, the, going through the char- the main characters. Um, so, Will and Nath. Will, I hated both of them in the first book. Absolutely hated. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it was because of the audio book, the way that she was projecting the voices. And I, one of my uh, my my co-hosts on my other podcast um, had mentioned he's like, that's why I don't listen to the audio books because it could taint the way that you perceive the story. And it's never happened to me before. I've never had the audiobook taint my story. And so I'm wondering if maybe that was it. But by the time I got to the third book, I'm like, no, I understand better the way it is. I don't think it was the audiobook. I think I legit just hated these characters. And Will was a whiny little kid. Nath was the blowhard asshole. Uh, And they were just unlikable characters. By the third book, like I said, you got to know them a lot better. Will taking the reluctant mantle and then really doing the one thing that you really should not do. Like, it makes sense in his character, but it's the worst possible decision of all of basically abandoning your entire squadron. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that really interesting. I found it the way Nath kind of grew up. He went from this blowhard asshole to a doing a couple of tasks that made sense to his character, but made him out to be a hero 
where mm -hmm. he really wasn't the hero persona. Like it's like one of those things where they say don't meet your heroes because they'll turn out <laughs> they'll turn out to be assholes and like the mm -hmm. the person that you are thinking these people are are not the people they really are. And Nath is that 100%, but he eventually gets to a point where he kind of transforms into the hero he is that people think he is. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I, I liked his progression. He became more of a likable character. And by the end, like I, I have said in my reviews, that these are you may not like these characters by the end, but they you understand these characters. Chas, yeah. I found super interesting, and mostly for the reasons you didn't like her. She <laughs> she went from this. You're right. Listen to music while she was flying in the battles, and she would even project that music onto the the the, the comms, so everybody else was forced to listen to the music as well, which I found hilarious. Um, right. But she grew up in a cult, and you know, people who grow up in a cult, um, when they get out of the cult, they're they're uh, they have issues, like rightfully so. Like cults are not good things for you. Right. And uh, the um. The the fact that she had to go into this cult, I think, mainly to stay alive. Yeah, on the the planet that was under um, uh, under siege, essentially, and the fact that how she grew up in a cult and now she's back in a cult, how that kind of alters her like I don't know where I belong sort of attitude. And by the third book is mostly just her dealing with where do I belong. I keep telling people that I like the cult. Nath keeps telling me that I don't like the cult. I'm just doing this as an act. But she herself did not understand where she belonged. And I found that interesting. Here you have a character who doesn't know where she belongs. And she's trying to wrestle with the two conflicting sides of her. And I, 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 I don't know if we ever got a full conclusion on that, but you it's like life. You never get a full conclusion. Your entire life are battles within your own head. Right. I, I think the conclusion there was when she went off and, and her and Quell end up together somewhere on a planet. Like it was like a it was like a throw off there at the very end where they get back together on another planet. So it felt like she came all the way around. But yeah, I, that was definitely for me. I didn't see the interesting aspect of it. Now that you've mentioned it like that, you know, it is a little more interesting to see how she processed it. But when I was getting to that, it was just kind of like, you know, when they mentioned that her having the cult pass, I was like, man, you should be past this. But I guess at the same time, though, I was okay with Jason Solo going back and forth all the way up to his death. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, some people take a long time to learn certain lessons. I mean, I should remember that. Yeah. And then then you have Erica, who you're right, is a complete mystery. Like she's got kicked, essentially told to leave the Empire, joins the the New Republic because she doesn't know what to do, um, has this terrible backstory where she per, 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 um, proceeded, not proceeded, um, she participated in a mm -hmm. mass um, murder uh, genocide event of Operation Cinder that nobody knows about, but then eventually gets brought up. She flees essentially because of this in in the middle, and, and she gets uh, trapped with her commanding officer Karen Aiden, who also um, knew about this but didn't tell anybody. And it was mo it was a, a dead man switch where if I die, everybody's going to find out. And um, so it, he didn't actually die, but they thought he did. And so it got released. 
and it, it was a uh, it, it was I find that interesting, but I didn't like her character because of it. Right. Like, I don't like the way she handled it. Like I, I really don't like the way the story handled that whole thing. Like, but it was interesting that they were trying to address what do we do with these war criminals? There are war criminals that are worse than others. So how do we? How do we account for that? How do we account for these people that participate in Operation Cinder, but, quote, we're only following orders versus the people who were leading the Operation Cinder? They're not the same thing. Right. And we see that, too, from the Shadow Wing perspective of everybody that participated in Operation Cinder. It, it, I remember in my notes, I had, I had mentioned it was like an evil version of the Order of the Arrow and Boy Scouts. <laughs> or Order of the Arrow is like when you take the best of the best scouts and you put them all together and make a big group out of them. And they all do their... In this case, it's like these guys are all the guys that are so vicious and so evil that you know that you've got their back because all of them have participated in the same thing. Like they're all the same level of evil killers. <laughs> like, and And I was having a hard time with the way Freed was writing the Imperials because I kept rooting for them and i'm like they're supposed to be the bad guys oh my god eric and i you know for a lot of aspects though that is a a crux for a lot of fans when it comes to star wars you know you got your members of the 501st bad guys doing good you know i mean we're drawn to the bad guys in star wars all the time and it's just it's so funny when you know they're written in ways where you're like yeah these guys are oh wait no they're bad guys oh gee oh my god the things that you've done (laughs) yeah but yeah i kept rooting for him time and time again and keys was a character that i absolutely loved his point of view he was interesting and that's where kind of erica crosses over with him because he's the one who ordered her out and then eventually she defects from the new republic at the end of the second book and you were thinking that she is actually defected, but we're within the third book, Victory's Price, we're answered that question very quickly, very quickly, that she did not defect, right. um, that she is really just trying to uh, allow um, Hera's group to now get keys. But it take, right. they're doing it, literally it's about six months between these two books, and so she's not very useful in that, <laughs> that aspect because it's not happening very quickly. Uh, right, but uh, yeah. So she she defects to the bad guys. Nobody on nobody in the Empire trusts her except for Keys. Nobody in the New Republic trusts her because clearly, like she bounces back and forth between sides like a, a pinball game, and we're not mm-hmm. entirely sure. Like the reader knows that she what she's trying to do, but even then, like I could see her going off on the Empire side again, like. Yeah, I guess this is where I belong because nobody else likes me. Right. There were cool locations where battles happened. Uh, Pandium Na was a lot like the Ma installation. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, the Telerath system, when we go to uh, uh, Genderin or whatever it was called, how it was haunted and it would collect the impressions of anything that passed through on their systems, like holograms. That was an interesting place to have a war. Uh, definitely made things a pain in the butt. <laughs> one One thing that I kept thinking was interesting was how you know the jedi when they were described you know it was like oh a conspiracy of jedi mystic force users blah blah blah. but it was like it gets back to that aspect of lucas's jump in time like the galaxy is just supposed to forget all about the jedi and yet you've got these characters that all are like you know 
200 years old, three, 500 years old. And you got a character that's living through these events. That's not really something that you would think like everybody would just forget, you know, and you're in a galaxy with people with these extremely long lifespans 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago isn't so far that you forget about things. 20 years ago is so far that you're like, that was 20 years ago? No way. I still remember when Home Alone came out. Like, <laughs> I That's always going to be something that bothers me is the way they present it from the character's point of view because it never really seems realistic. Now, there were certain characters that were confused about the Jedi, and I appreciate that because that I can get behind. I can get behind a character that doesn't understand something and then makes a false assumption. But just to blanketly forget everything, like that always just rubbed me a little bit raw. <laughs> yeah, I can see that where you have the... Um... The well, you have the the mass mind wipes of this didn't actually happen. Uh, what you think is true is not true. Kind of propaganda going on, and you, when you have twenty years of imperial propaganda, um, you are going to get most people that that are going to change their minds. And how many people in the galaxy really interacted with the Jedi? You have, I think they said that most ten thousand Jedi um, at one time. Whereas you're dealing with trillions of people in the galaxy, like 10,000, that, that's barely a drop in the bucket. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, there were there was a lot of really cool moments. So, like, uh, when the the Dare and Riot Squadron died, that was a cool moment. See, Will didn't see the fighter responsible. He blinked back, stinging tears. Right three to Hellion's dare, he called. We don't have long. Chas was swearing, asking, Where's Satanique? Where's Satanique? Stitcher was calling for help. Will was no longer defending the dare or distracting the ties. All he could do was try to escape death as it pursued him, surrounded him, pinned him down. His cannons pulsed rhythmically, tearing through fog, crimson painting the battlefield, but failing to destroy anything. Below him, the hull of the dare sped past, rippling with excess energy. His navigation systems were blinking. Lowering his eyes through the screens was a risk, but he did so anyway. He saw that the dare had beamed him a set of jump coordinates, along with an encrypted data package. Right three to Hellion's dare! Transmission received! Are we going? No one answered. Was he supposed to wait? Was he supposed to run? He saw a TIE fighter whip past him, ignored him, firing a single cannon in a blink eye into the dare. Skitcher screamed over the comm. Riot! Will couldn't remember Chaz's designation. Chaz! He yelled, Chaz! I, I loved how Freed wrote those type of moments. Like, the, 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 in the battle and the way that those, you know, that's when the lack of details and the quick bang, 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 bang were really hitting for me. I loved all the battle scenes. Which brought me back into like the whole, oh yeah, you know, this is feeling like Rogue Squadron again. Freed was really good at that. That was definitely the aspect of his storytelling that I would love to see. If he's going to continue to do Squadron books and stuff, I would love to see more of the in-the-cockpit action scenes. Like, he really pegged that to the board. Yeah, that's what I was saying before. It's like his military um, writing style is awesome. Like it, it, Twilight Company, like I said, I absolutely loved Rogue One um, is one of my favorite novelizations of the movies just because it, it is so well done. Um, 
and that's like where it comes out in here is during the battle scenes like this is like where he really shines and where it really kind of um kind of picks up and really moves the story along and makes it for a riveting uh tale that we're that we're trying to get into mm-hmm. and then it's about this battle where will reaches out to shadow squadron and opens up the comm link and starts talking to him. That was an interesting thread because, you know, at first I was like, I liked it. Then in the second book, it's like, I don't know. I like it. And then the third book, you just kind of like, okay, now Will's established himself in a way. Cause like shadow wing was trying to figure out who each of the pilots of alphabet squadron were just like the alphabet squadron were naming the pilots. Um, and I think Riot Squadron started that. Like, they're calling them Blink was one of them, uh, Clutch. They all had different nicknames for different things they were doing. They were the twins and things of that nature. And as you get into the third book, you know, you find out, like, certain nicknamed characters. We eventually find out who they are and how it ties in. And I, I thought that was a cool reveal when we got to that point. Um, but, like, Blink, like, when she was responding to Will, she goes full dick. Or, or he, I, I don't think that it's established at this point if Blink is male or female or oh, I thought, non-gendered. I thought Blink was female for some reason. You know, and she, I don't eventually know, we do. I, yeah, I don't know if why I thought that. Yeah, I don't remember when it was, when he, the character was Blink. I don't remember if they ever assigned a he or she, but I mean, by the third book, we do find out who Blink is and Blink is a woman. Um, yeah. And that was a brutal, oh my God, that revelation when we get to that point was like, holy shit. That's like, one of those. That third book had moments where I was just like, no way. Yeah, that's one of those backslap sort of reveals where you're right. Um, Will is trying to befriend the Shadow Wing pilots and it's kind of a um, he does it on his own. Eventually Hera kind of looks the other way while he's doing it because it's like, well, if this is going to work, like then let it work. We'll see kind of what comes out of this. And then like he befriends this blink pilot who saves Will uh, with some information to the point where when he they meet up again, because Blink is on the ship trying to sabotage the ship, and Blink confronts Will, and she's like, you're a really giant moron. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Moth Pandion, uh, or Pandion, however, he was mentioned, and I believe he came from Aftermath. Um, that was kind of cool that we, you know, we started getting those connections and stuff. Um, and then the reference to the video game, uh, we get to see more about the tab and gas Gallius Rex and the contingency plans called out. I'm like, okay, you know, this get, that's when the messenger showed up. Like I was really getting excited about all that kind of stuff. Like, okay, where are we going with this? Um, little tiny details jumped out to me. Like the white book, the white book was rebel Alliance military field guide. I'm like, all right, come on, Beckermeyer. Like I need that book. <laughs> I found it interesting. You you had mentioned um, Kairos, and the the fifth member of the the squadron. I hadn't talked about Kairos. Kairos is not in the first two books. Like she's there, but like she's basically a, a, a it could be a cardboard cutout. Like there's nothing about her. And even in the second book, she's almost not even there. Like she's in healing for most of the book, but by the third book, it's like the Kairos book. Right. And it's the most interesting thing. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we get like a image of her without her exosuit on, but 
they kind of described her almost, I think, like, looks like an armadillo. Right. Yeah. Chitness. Yeah. I kept thinking, like, Nominor's uh, armor. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it kind of has these, these chitin uh, plates all over her where she's lost a whole bunch because of, um, of an accident that she had. And we actually go to her home planet during part of the third book, and we find out a ton more about her where she's really um, not supposed to be in contact with other alien species. And so because she's in contact with other alien species, other alien species don't like her because she's an alien. Her own species doesn't like her because she's been in contact with these other alien species. And so she is just kind of this, like, exile from everybody. Well, and it got worse because even though she was touched, Karen later agreed to allow a procedure to happen to save her life where she got a blood transfusion. So she was permanently tainted. It was like, <laughs> not only are she like just because on the planet, they would shed their armors and themselves and become a new person. But she can't even do that because the blood is inside her. She's like dirty from the inside out. It's like, oh, damn. Yeah. And so it's it's an interesting take on a character that like. You normally wouldn't get it because, like, it's an alien species we've never seen before, and I, I found I found her most interesting because because she was such a mystery for the, through the first two books. Like, where are we going with this character? I wasn't a hundred percent thrilled of where we went with the character, but I did like that we <laughs> got a lot of the answers that we did. <laughs> right, my I think my biggest issue with her was that you know it started out she wasn't speaking like ever. Eventually, she does start using words, but. I'm like, you're a pilot in a squadron. Like, speaking, that really was like, that should have been a no. Like, you know, we need pilots, but you can't communicate with anybody. Like, you should be on solo missions, not running the gunship to be called in. Or where do I need to go? Like, if you can't communicate these things, how are we going to get you there? No, Solo Um, was in the Aftermath books. That's why he wasn't here. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah there there were some things too that, that didn't make sense like when they first go to that planet uh it's kairos i want to think chaz was with her and, yes it was uh, Quell. it was kairos and chaz and i believe they had erica um at that point yeah uh under basically under um uh, under arrest because they they well went that's and- that's in the third one I mean, yes. I'm talking still in the the first one when they go to that the Jedi Temple thing. Oh, okay. When when Kara's first is she's telling her story and she's drawing in the dirt and she, they don't give you much details. You're like, what in the hell is going on? And there was a moment there. It was like I think it was page two sixty two. They all wake up from the sound of a large gong chiming from the temple and they all go back. But I'm just like, like what? Like that whole scene was like, what in the? <laughs> I don't. I'm still to this moment like, what was the point of the Jedi and the Sith temples? <laughs> They're just there. And that you can't just do that. You can't tease me with these kind of things. You could tease me with the name like Borealis. Like I was excited that that planet showed back up. I'm like, oh, hey, sweet. That planet made it. It's jumped over. Yeah, but the yeah. Sith temple was interesting because that's on an asteroid where Karen and Quell were stranded with um the, their droid. I don't remember the droid's name. Oh, uh, and oh, I, Ido or ITO? I, I, yeah, I think something like that. And they were stranded on that that asteroid, and the only way to get off the asteroid um, before everyone died was to get into that temple. And it, it basically was Erica was the only one able to move at that point, and uh, the um, you had to they they had to keep 
delving into their feelings or del- her delving into her feelings to get off there. Whereas by the time that they finally figured out how to get out there, Karen was dead. Uh, she, <laughs> the droid was dead. It was just her, which didn't look good on her because yeah, um, your commander is now dead. You were a member of the empire, part of this huge atrocity. So it like made sense that she fleed, but not back to the empire. But yeah, the, the, right. the temple didn't serve a larger purpose. And then she found a ship. I was just like, Oh, just what you need. How perfect for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, like I said, Nathan Will's relationship was probably the one that I was drawn to from the beginning. There was a great moment where Nat tells Will they're, they're at one of the bars and Will is like disengaging from the 61st. And Nath comes up, be charming. You get shot down, you're going to need these people. And I was thinking, like, you know, he's got a point. Like, and, you know, Nath was definitely the realist. Like, and he was pushing Will because he wanted to see Will survive. You know, he saw Will as his old squadron, you know, very green behind the ears, knew this kid is eventually going to get himself killed. I was like, okay, you know, I'm down. I, I'm totally in on this. I, I'm with him 100% of the way. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, yeah, still don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was thinking about Bruce. Remember Bruce's character, I think. I have no idea who that even is. <laughs> I, the problem I have with Bruce is I can't remember if Bruce was one of the few characters from Squadron 5 or if he just happened to be someone else. Uh, yeah, Because you know, it would have made sense to have had a crossover event. And made Bruce, you know, one of the Squadron Five guys, but I don't think that was the case. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was the 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 one of my biggest problems with this story is that the the crossover event was meant to show you the good guys side and the bad guys side. The comics is the bad guys, the books are the good guys. We never really got that, so we never got the tie side and mm. or the Shadow Wing side where we had Soren Keys. We had him. Most of the TIE fighter pilots go unnamed. Really, all that we get, even of the named ones, is barely a handful of pages. By the end of the, what, 900, 1,200 pages of this trilogy, I could hold in one hand the amount of times that like that, that these TIE fighter pilots are even mentioned or talk. And so th- there's almost nothing on them. It's all on Soren Keys, who is a really interesting character, and his motivations of by the end of the third one are admirable. Like you understand, mm-hmm. like the way he goes about it makes sense. It's not what you would want of the good guys to do. Uh, he is trying to figure out where did this messenger come from? Why did it pick us? Like what did right. we do for it to pick us to perform Operation Cinder? And eventually, you get to it. It just is really a giant algorithm that had access to data on everybody in the empire and everything that they did in the empire. And so where was this data storage? We find out the data storage was on Coruscant and he's like, well, I'm going to eliminate that so that if the new Republic or when the new Republic takes over, cause I can kind of see that's going to happen uh, right. when they take over my people, these people of the Empire, are not going to be subject to what's happening to Erica, which is the uh, annihilation of these people because they were just following orders. Right. The sins of their past come back to bite them hard. Yes. That was one of the coolest 
aspects of the entire book series was Soren's character. Um, and the way it culminated there at the end was awesome. I absolutely loved it. There was a great moment as he's coming back after, you know, disappearing and joining the rebels as Devon or Devon and then comes back and he's talking with Bruce and he tells Bruce, he goes, they don't trust my ideas yet. And he's talking about the, the members of the 204th. If they're going to question me, I'd rather them do it in the open so I can guide them toward, well, towards something that won't get us all killed. Bruce laughed politely, Soren thought, but with no genuine amusement. Soren had known Bruce long enough to distinguish one from the other. Give me your judgment, Soren said. You see the others from a clearer vantage. Bruce sighed, glanced toward the door, then he said, It's not your ideas that are the problem. I don't think anyone here believes they can lead this unit better than you. Hell, it's the only reason you weren't tossed out an airlock. It's you, Major. You're a problem for them. Proceed. There was nothing in Soren's voice to confront or encourage Bruce, nor was it necessary. You left us, Bruce said. After Necrosis, you told the squadron commanders that the war was lost, that continuing to fight was pointless. You deserted your unit. There was no rage in Bruce's voice that Soren could perceive, just a scolding like a parent might deliver to a child caught in a lie. You offered us a way out, honorable in its way, and I know you were attempting to set an example, but you left us at our lowest moment. And you didn't see what happened at Pandium Nye. You can't understand the pilots who want revenge instead of safety, and they won't understand you. And, you know, I mean, that was something that he had to come around on was like, how do I serve them when I've already, in a sense, kind of betrayed them? And the end conclusion, like you talk about there, where he goes to Coruscant and he basically wipes out their pass. I mean, that was, that was, you know, it was almost noble. Well, that's entirely like he was trying to do the noble thing to protect his people, but he was also going to murder a lot of people in the process <laughs> of trying to get rid of that data. So it's it's one of those like it's like yeah, I can see your your um, motivations are pure, your ways of going about it probably not so much. But the, his storyline is what makes me question the timeline of this book or this series a lot. Mm. Because he was at Operation Cinder. He led the, the Shadow Wing at Operation Cinder. Operation Cinder is about a month after Return of the Jedi. Okay. He then tells Erica to leave. He leaves at about the same time. So we're assuming about a one month after. Then we have the first Alphabet Squadron book, which is about a month to two months after that. So you're looking about two to three months after Return of the Jedi. And then you have the next Alphabet Squadron book where, well, he comes he comes back. And you're looking at about six months after Return of the Jedi. So there really is a two to three month period where he is gone. Mm-hmm. Like he left the squadron, then came back. That's about in, in about two to three months that he did that. And there are people are complaining that he abandoned them. Mm-hmm. I know people who leave from their jobs to go on vacation for longer periods of time than that. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yes, it was a detrimental part. It was like you're dealing with like the, the crumbling of the empire. It was really bad time to leave. But it's not like it was for years. Right. It was. I, I think Pandium Nye was the event that felt like years for him, and they felt abandoned at yeah, I like I can see it one way, and I can also see it the other way. It's like, <laughs> right. 
like if he had left like a year or two earlier, then I could see a lot of their issues. But it was like two months and they're like still giving him crap about like, yeah, we don't want to we, we, we just don't trust you, Major. We just don't trust you. It's like literally I went on a vacation. I just checking out the New Republic, seeing how things are going and not liking what I saw. So I came back like, really? Like you guys need to get over it. Right. <laughs> well, and they, and they lose Shakira, a.k.a. the grandmother. um, who was leading Shakira. I don't know. That's what I was calling her. <laughs> uh, but she was the grandmother. She was the one that was in charge and they lose her months. and the ship <laughs> in that first book. And then I think it was in the second book where, where Soren finds the, was it the edit star destroyer? And it's got like three old men and a whole bunch of young cadets. He's like, Hey, we're going to bring you guys in. Like, the way that the two sides as the trilogy of books would kind of rise and fall as who was kind of winning any one battle at any one time was kind of cool. I mean, there was definitely a, a deadlock stalemate going on with these two groups, and they were definitely in a position where both of their leaderships were like, you've got to take them out. Like, quit pussyfooting around and sweep the legs, Johnny! Sweep the legs! <laughs> <laughs> I also liked that in this book, too, is what, uh, and of course, I'm saying Shadowfall. I'm in that one still talking about when Kara starts collecting souvenirs from the dead. I'm like, she, they hadn't given us enough about her at this point. So I'm like, what is going on with this person? Like, she's not talking. She's collecting body parts. Like, she's definitely one of the people that you're like, give that one a wide berth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like. They also did the the Vader stories where they were trading the different stories on Vader. And that's about the time where they did the mention to the uh, the app game because they mentioned the Anot sector and the Iron Blockade there, which was uh, one of the little mobile app games that you played. Oh, up. Um, yeah. Give me one second. I can, I can pull up exactly what it was. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I never got to play it because they pulled the game from any sort of ability to play before I could play it. I'm like, you have a canon story right. now literally that nobody can play. Up Uprising, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, play, I played it for like five days. It was, it was a little hard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there were a lot of little things like that that I know that there were more that went past me because they were all small little toss-off lines where you're like, oh, hey, that connects to this. That connects to that. Cool. Yeah, Uprising. Yeah, I never actually played it because I downloaded it, I bought it, and then they removed it from the server before I ever actually got to play it. And I don't play mobile game apps very much anyway. Right. Um, yeah, I just don't have uh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I I was irritated at the time when they had the plan and they put like the hundred or so of the sixty first troopers on the asteroid, and then in the, all of it goes down. They're strapped to the asteroid they're totally unaccessible can't help in the battle and i'm like what a waste but then at the end i'm like actually that worked in your benefit because everybody else got wiped out so you actually have your best fighters are still alive because they sat the battle out but during that battle i was biting my nails like why in the hell do you have all your best people on this damn asteroid like it was such a blunder and yet it worked in their favor yeah, that's what I, I, I liked. You had the everyone sitting out like we we have this decoy set up. Everything's gonna work great, and then like Karen comes in and goes, "Yeah, I kind of saw that coming from a million miles away, but thanks for trying." <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, but you just reminded me of something that I had a huge problem with in this this series of books. And it was a lot of repeating of names. The names of the dead. We're going to constantly repeat the names of the dead. And I can understand the purpose of that. But there comes a point when I am tired of listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like, oh my word, stop doing that. You can get the point across without having to actually write out the names of the dead every time. And ah, oh, they did it so much in this series. So much. Right. There was a cool moment uh, when <laughs> Nath breaks everything down for Will in Chapter 13 of Shadowfall. <laughs> like, uh, let's see. Urgent request from the spaceport of status reports on the Lodestar. Lodestar is down, Will replied. No one else spoke. We got a few fighters left. Who's in charge of the ground defenses? The woman on the other of the comm laughed. What ground defenses? We blew up the anti-air weapons on the way to the capital. Unless you want the infantry to shoot ties with their rifles. Nat's voice broke in. Got it, he called. Damn piece of shrapnel's been sticking out the side of my ship. But we rerouted the power, so he fixed his comm. What do you need, Will asked. Maybe the woman at the spaceport. Maybe to both of them. The woman didn't hesitate. Give me a point of contact. If we lost the Lodestar, meteor leaders should be in charge. Gone, Nath said. Maybe alphabet leader, Lieutenant Quell. Gone, Nath repeated. Will winced at the callousness of Nath's tone. Quell could be alive, though her escape pod had launched. It was possible. Nath and meteor squad as well. He swung the A-wing in sight of Nath and set course after the largest cluster of ties. He tried to listen to the conversation while scanning the other distress signals, pulling up maps of triath and estimating flight times. He tuned out Nath and the spaceport operator altogether as he caught a fragment of transmission, a cry for help. Like, at this point, like, Nath's just pissed. Like, you know, we get more into his his mind and stuff, but, like, I liked how Nath would go back and forth between just being very angry that they're losing people and being very angry that they have no leadership, but also not wanting to put himself in that crosshair. (laughs) Like... Like, it's like he sees the need, but he's like, I'm not going to go there myself. But hey, Will, you're a good kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I don't know how, how much, what, what else I have to say. Yeah, in, I'm about there I'm as well. Fall. I mean, because, you know, we had the, the oh, the Cida stuff. That's right. Palacidia. Uh she was the shadow uh, wing character that also got shot down with Chaz and had made it into the cult. Yeah. Oh, that's right. She She's one of the, probably one of the mo- ones we find the most out about. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, they're both trapped in a cult, but they try to work together and it never works out. Right. Um, and then like, you know, we get, these constant little moments like Dennis Rave, Perispia, Alikios, Vital, they're all morning gorgeous Sue, but we don't know anything. I mean, there are so often that names are just tossed out there. And I'm okay with that for the most part. But there was they're just names. Like, I mean, you could have just given it a company name. We didn't have to have the names of all these individuals. Like, there's so much of that happening that at times it became very hard to understand who was who, um, who, who is important. Right. Exactly. Which ones are my core characters of each side? 
Character lists are great for that. When the New Jedi Order came out, we had character lists for Vong characters, and we had character lists for the you know the pilots in this squadron and that squadron, who the Jedi were. It became helpful when you set the book down for a while, and you came back, and you're like, wait, who is this guy again? You could just flip to the front. Otherwise, like like Jim had to do with the audiobook, you're starting things over because you're just like, where did I miss this? I don't even know. You have to get lucky to find the page, or in your case, the, the few seconds where they were reading that moment. <laughs> yeah. Or even, like, what was everybody flying? Right. Like, what ship was Will flying? Like, it was mentioned a few times, but I'm trying to think, like, oh, he was in the yeah, A-Wing. Yeah, wing It's like, they're all, it helps that they're all in different ships, because you, you can pinpoint a character to their ship, and kind of the, their, their, um, their character traits are really tied to their ship. So their ship's character traits are also their character traits, because they're one and the same, essentially, in the book. Right, um, but you're you were mentioning before I forgot to, to say is that when uh, um, Chas Chas's things in the B wing didn't really make a lot of sense. I feel like the B wing doesn't make a lot of sense. Right, it's this really weird ship, and I don't think like he kind of played up on the B wing being able to rotate around the cockpit a little bit. But you're right, I don't think he played up enough of what the B wing could do and couldn't do. Mm-hmm very well because the b-wing is just this bizarre ship to begin with that is nothing like any of the other ships in canon right and like from everything i've always remembered it was it was designed to be you know a powerhouse and there was like a whole scene where it's like it was surprisingly he was able to take it out with the b-wing and i'm like what do you mean surprisingly these things are like no these are the tanks of starfighters (laughs) well that's we had a whole episode of rebels Right. Focused around the B Wing and how powerful a ship it could be. Like the I know that B Wing in Rebels is not the same B Wing that they get into the Rebellion because they had to power down the ship. Um but it still was a major like bomber uh powerhouse ship even after the power down. Right. You know, and you know, some people could probably say that what Nath and Will kept having conversations about what Nath kept pushing at Will was probably a repeat. But I was, I just, I loved that camaraderie between the two. Will goes, I don't know. He said softly, you've gone out of your way for revenge against shadow wing before Nath says, I'm saving your butt. I'm saving your sorry, butt, brother from the consequences of your actions. You really want to resolve this thing peacefully. Walk away from the people who blew up the Lodestar. Probably killed Quell and Chaz. I'm in. I'll follow. It's not my job to set things right this time. And no one ever accused me of patriotism. Nath kept talking. But if you want to walk away without firing a shot, you better be prepared to live with it. If Operation Cinder comes around again, if Shadowing picks up where they left off, you don't get to have regrets. Back at Pandium 9, I didn't watch out for you like I should have. You called me on it. And you are right to. I'm watching out for you now. You hear me? And I had forgotten about that. But in that first battle in the first book, yeah, Nath, Nath didn't look out for anybody but himself. And again, he kind of does that at the very end uh, where he goes and, and removes himself out of the battle to stay alive. But he came a long way because he went from just only caring about himself to, no, I'm going to actually look out for my friends and stuff. Even though his past, he was the only survivor of a squadron. So, like, it brought back well, all that they trauma. all were. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. They all were, yeah. That's where they. That's where the Alphabet Squadron came from, is that they were the sole survivors of their individual squadrons. Which, and as this book series came about, it was like, you know, that was happening a lot. Like, you know, when uh, Hail Squadron and Meteor Squadron were taken out, and they became Riot Squadron. It was like, they were constantly just rechanging up. And I was surprised that Alphabet Squadron stayed Alphabet Squadron, because they, sh- like you said, when you're down to two of them, 
you might as well have been Riot Squadron at that point. <laughs> <laughs> You're not an alphabet anymore. You're a couple of letters. <laughs> <laughs> it's BS up in here. <laughs> BS Squadron. Why are you BS Squadron? Well, I have a B-Wing and an S-Wing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, and then, you know, getting to that is Quell Force-sensitive. Remember the Jedi Temple? She had visions. I was like, I, that whole aspect threw me so off. It was like, what are we doing? Were we trying to imply that she might be Force-sensitive? Like, I didn't know why we were doing that. And then with Aiden dying the way he did, uh, Karn, like, that was... Oh my gosh, I was not prepared for that first off. It happened so quick and so callously. I'm like, oh, and they're dead. And it didn't seem like yeah, much at that moment, but the ramifications of them not coming back with her were huge for Quell. That's why you're right. I did not expect him to die. Like they, she tried to save him for almost half of a book. Yeah, he was septic. He got septic and died from it. Like, oh, damn. And he would have lived had they been able to get off the asteroid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Chaz, when she gets her B-Wing back, turns out the cult had it the whole time. And I don't understand. They removed her music and put in scripture lectures from the cult leader. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, it made no sense. I was, I, I was, and that was why I was kind of like leaning towards Shadowfall being the worst book for me because like that whole, what they did with Chaz threw me so out where I was like, what the hell? But then I forgot, you know, that end battle in that book and the fact that all the leadership left and it was basically all the newbies going up against the empire's, you know, vicious 204. So I'm like, okay, that definitely saved that second book for me, (laughs) that battle alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, the, uh, the second book started out rough and it, got a lot better for me and by the by the end i was i i was much more on board with the characters and i was much more on board with the the story itself because i could actually understand what was happening which is probably my biggest uh complaints on a lot of stories if i don't understand what's happening i'm probably not gonna like your story right (laughs) uh when we get to the third book that's where will takes on a role of power you know i mean he is actually in charge of more than just you know a few squadrons he's in charge of basically the whole group at this point and it was weird because up until that third book it was beat over our head how young he was and how green he was which made me wonder you know like is he like is he aside from nath pushing him into that role what does everyone else see in will to make him the wise choice like the only thing i could think of is that everyone was really looking at nath and nath was like this is the guy we should follow he's the only one who wants it chas doesn't want it that's true kairos doesn't want it nath doesn't want it so that that's up to up to him i don't even think erica really wanted it like (laughs) (laughs) right and that's one of the funniest things about the the third book is that um really nath and will both don't want it Right. But Will is the the one who doesn't want it the least. Right. <laughs> and so he eventually becomes the leader just because that is that's what's left. <laughs> <laughs> I I did like in the third book when Quell and Key start talking and they, they start having more conversations about the Empire. Uh she goes, And you're not interested because and he goes, Because the best case scenario today is very different than it was a year ago. Imagine, Lieutenant, that we deliver a massive blow to the enemy fleet 
and suffer minimal losses of our own. Imagine the New Republic is forced to consolidate, leaving what? A sliver of Imperial space in the Western reaches, as the rebels might have secured if we'd reacted with the unity after the Endor? There was no passion or urgency in his voice. He laid it out with the same ease he'd maintained throughout the conversation. She thought it over. Coruscant is still under our control. If the New Republic fleet is weakened, Imperial forces could punch through to the capital, build out from there, occupy a wedge of space along with the major hyperlanes. That is an optimistic outlook. All right, suppose it's possible. What do you imagine that empire looks like? Meaning, culturally. An empire that survives this past year. An empire that struggled, that carried out two Operation Cinders. That endured endless hardship to secure one wedge of the galaxy. Does it rise to the heights we always aspire to? Is it a place of committed order and stability, even at the cost of certain liberties? Do its leaders value merit and honor, at least in words, if not in deeds? She should have felt chilled. Instead, she laughed again with barely a trace of bitterness. Not after what we've done, she said, but Keyes gestured for her to continue, and she attempted to sober herself. Even if we secure a territory, there would still be resistance. We'd be putting down rebellions forever, fighting back anarchy. How many more examples would be made? How many Operation Cinders? She nearly laughed once more. We would become our worst selves, paranoid and violent, and dedicated to justifying that paranoia and violence, Key said. I absolutely loved that they had that conversation. You know, what will the Empire look like moving forward? Because for for Soren, that's huge. I mean, he's, you know, he's staying for the people. He's not staying for the Empire. And yeah. so when he's talking to her, he's like, what are you in this for? You know, like, I told you to leave. You came back and you freaking came back to us. Like... <laughs> Like the the fact that like he wants to do right by his people and he wants to do right by her. But with her, unlike the people, he's trying to get her to come to those conclusions on her own. Whereas with the people, he's like, I'm just going to guide them. I'm going to lead them out of this. But with her, he recognizes like she's an even more delicate spot than even he is. And he needs her to come to these decisions on her own. Otherwise, it's it's pointless. Well, that was a cool little interaction between them. Yeah, it really explains his character. Like, where is he coming at this all from? Although it it seems almost different from what the character he was earlier, where he was willing to go along with Operation Cinder and then Operation Cinder Part 2. <laughs> right. Like, why are you going along with this? Yeah. Like, what does this... Like, like it, you were seemingly the, the villain for the villain's sake. Like, you're just evil for evil's sake. You don't have any good good side bad side qualities and then you get to the end and you're like all of a sudden like where was this guy earlier right and i kept thinking the only thing he was doing there was trying to lure Hera, you know trying to bring all the focus onto where they were at so as he does he could sneak off to coruscant later but we don't find that out until toward the very end of the book i mean and what we do i felt like a lot of everything he'd been doing made a lot more sense like oh Okay, so that's why he's doing the bait and switch here. All right. Yeah. I, I'd say th- with the third book, um, when we get to actually the um, the Battle of Jakku, I found the way that we learned about, or the way that it was uh, handled in the book was really interesting because um, whereas most of the Battle of Jakku we've seen before was in the Aftermath book, um, it was in Lost Stars, it was in um, the Battlefront 2 uh, game. 
uh, the the playthrough on Battlefront Two, and so that was all focused around Jakku. Whereas in this book, you have a couple of the Alphabet Squadron characters, um, Will and Nath, are off on the outskirts. They're handling Shadow Wing, which isn't directly in the thick of things. They're on the outskirts trying to. Um, I can't even remember. They were trying to basically disrupt communications. Yeah, they were just basically right? blocking them at every point. It was like, it was like if we could keep them blocked, then we keep them from actually being able to participate, and that's a win. <laughs> yeah, and so they were on the outskirts of the battle. So we're finding out more about the Battle of Jakku, but it wasn't directly involved as the the main center of the thing. And so I found that super interesting. And then you have this entire side story with Erica, Karen. And um, Kairos on Coruscant trying to get this uh, this data the cube or trying to keep Karen from getting it. And so it, I found kind of the understanding of everything that's happening um, really fascinating. And I, that's why like the third book is by far my favorite one. You had mentioned it before that if you could only recommend the third book, you would. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel. It's like if you could only recommend this third of the trilogy – but you would lose a lot of the character growth. So I don't know if right. like, just reading the third book would be as impactful as reading the whole series together. And it's another reason we're doing the whole trilogy because the character growth is really what makes it as a cohesive story. I, I look at it like how I got people into the New Jedi Order. Like the people that I got to read the entire book series, I had them start with Star by Star. They read that. They were so interested. Then they went back and read all the way through the series. And I and that's how I would do this. I'd be like, read Victory's Price. And if you're interested and you want to know more, then go back. Because I, I think you'd get more out of all these books knowing where it's going to end in that regard. Like, you know, the how do we get to there? Uh, but when I was doing that ride, I kept getting caught up in mysteries that weren't mysteries. You know, like I'm still hung up on the Jedi and Sith aspects because I was, you know, yeah, thinking I it was tell. all going to tie Every, together. Everyone can tell. <laughs> <laughs> like, just give it up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there, there were so many things about Hera in this third book that, that really made sense. Um, as she's heading through the ship, she hears a sound and she rolls to the balls of her feet to remain silent. I'm like, oh, that's classic hair. Uh, there was a moment where one of the characters like, oh, what I'd give for a Jedi right now. And she's like, you have no idea. Like, oh, it's like, oh, dude, yes. A reference to Kanan without a reference to Kanan. <laughs> yeah, the book, they did have a lot of references that weren't over the hit over your head references. Mm hmm. And I, I did enjoy that. It's like little things here and there. Like teases to the outside galaxy. Things that you, if you don't know, it doesn't bother you sort of references. Right. Uh, Hera Star Destroyer gets captured during this book. And I, honestly, at that point, I was thinking it happened in the last book. I was like, wait, what's going on? But the way that it all ends up playing out, like the whole battle of Jakku became super exciting. Like way more exciting. And everything about Hera... I just immediately was like, dude, this should have been Hera's total book. Like, this would have worked so much better for her. <laughs> when we get the moment where Quell announces her presence to the 204th, though, I was so confused because I'm like, where are we going with this? She's like, this is Lieutenant Quell of the 204th Imperial Fighter Wing. Would draw immediately and be destroyed. He'd already loosened the weapon and he heard Chas swear and T5 squeal in silence from Nath and Kairos. General Sindula had time to utter, Quell? Before... <laughs> 
like, I was just like, the whole, when Hera finds out about it, I'm like, oh, dude, this isn't going to end well. This can't possibly end well. <laughs> but it worked out. Like, I, I think that by the time we get to the end of the book for Quell and where she ends up, it makes the most sense for her. Um, she wasn't invested in either side in the end. She was more trying to find her place. And yes. in the end, we find out her place isn't in either side. She she ends up going off and just kind of sitting out. <laughs> She's living with Chas. Like, they are dating. Right. And that's the, the most interesting, like, one of the most interesting things to these characters is that Will, we find out, I don't know when we found it out, but I know by the end it's, like, made abundantly clear that he has a boyfriend. Right. Uh, I, I think it's just a boyfriend. I don't think they're married by the end of it. Chas and uh, Chas and Erica are gay, but they're like none of these are over your head, blunt. Like, oh my god, they're gay characters. Right. It's just they happen to be gay characters, and I found that like really interesting. Like, oh, so like you kind of seeded it in, but didn't overly announce what they that 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 they were um, living alternative lifestyles, right? But like you had mentioned, um, Hera at the end of the book that her star destroyer is going down. She escapes on the ghost, right? That was a great moment, <laughs> but they never called it the ghost. And so it's like one of those, like another one of those things. If you know, you know, it's like, Oh, it's like, there's the ghost. And it makes you wonder where it's Jason. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and we get mentioned to Ray Sloan and there was even a, an aspect of like, she's not part of the the leadership anymore. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, Wait, like, I remember when Gallius Rax did that, but at the end of Aftermath, she was the one in charge. Like, <laughs> yes. And so that that had me confusing. I, I, that I couldn't line up in my head of what was happening when. Yeah, the only thing I could think of was that who Salone was, ta- uh, who Cern was talking to, I think it was Rand, they were the ones that were being left to die. And that was why they thought that Sloan wasn't part of it because they didn't realize they were the patsies, you know, because uh, may I ask, Soren said, what became of Grand Admiral Sloan? I haven't received an update for her in some time. The eyes narrowed. She is not your concern. Your orders come from me now. It's like, so, yeah, there was definitely the split in the leadership. You're like, OK, yeah, all right. Well, that makes, I guess, a little more sense as to where she ended up going. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that 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 was one of those like uh, clearly something happened in aftermath. I am not remembering here, <laughs> right? Because like, okay, the other one too that I didn't recall in the first two books, in the third one, it's mentioned that Quell has brittle bones from her planet's gravity, and like, I'm like, did they did they mention that in the first one when she was on the. Uh, the prison camp kind of thing. Like, cause I'm like, I thought they mentioned that before, but like, it was never, it just kind of came up out of nowhere. It was like, Oh, and here's this other character description. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that at all. That just seems like one of those like gloss over, keep moving sort of things. Like, yeah, I guess that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, as Quell is starting to hunt down Soren, we see her start to second guess a lot of the decisions. She goes, she goes, you should have killed Soren Keys a long time ago. The thought rose in her without cruelty or vindictiveness. It was part of the practical part of her brain. The part that planned missions. You could kill him today. He'd let you get close enough. You have a blaster. Walk up and do it or 
You're worried the 501st will continue without him. Kill him and Bruce both. Murder all the squadron commanders. Like, she's like thinking, like, how can I cripple these guys? Like, there's always a way. You have access to the reactor right now. Blow up the freighter. You have a chance. You can pull it off. But if she didn't pull it off, her cover would be blown. Her mission would be over. Was that an excuse for cowardice? Like, her conflict, I really enjoyed and appreciated. Whereas with Chaz, like, I... Like you appreciated what was going on with Chaz. I didn't put together her being in the, the cult before as the reason why she was so thrown off and conflicted. I had just was like, well, you've been in a cult before. You should see like, I just was like, why is she getting so brainwashed? You know, uh, where I felt like when we had those moments inside Chaz, we didn't have so much of that internal narrative like we did with Quell. And what we had with Quell worked because it, it definitely led me in the direction we were going to end up with, with her. I mean, she does make all the right choices in the very end. Yeah. Like I can, I can see that. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to touch on is Will Lark when he's getting his uh, final instructions from the general, all fighters ready final instructions, general. She gave it a moment's consideration. Most of the pilots would be thinking about vengeance, about the injuries and insults shadowing had inflicted since the sabotage droid attack, or about the destruction of the Lodestar and the deaths of friends at Seberon. We're told Chadawa was built by an unknown species eons ago, Hera said. No one knows why or how, but since then billions of people have called it home. They were born, they grew old, and they died here, and their history is part of the galaxy's history. Shadowing wants to render Chadawa uninhabitable. They want to make it a part of the Empire story. I say we make sure it sees another eon or two. May the Force be with us all. She severed the transmission. Not her best speech, but it would suffice. Particularly since the 204th was listening to. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, Hera's doing the right thing. <laughs> like, I just, I really enjoyed Hera's character. The fact that the third book became more about her was definitely something that made me appreciate the entire trilogy. Um, I definitely think that if I had to compare the battles of Jakku, this battle of Jakku had more action, more intensity, and it delivered more of what I was hoping for out of a Star Wars novel than the aftermath version of the battle of Jakku. Mostly though, because of the writing style freed, like I'd read some of those parts before he really gets into space battles, you know, whereas when dig, it was more characters, you know, the, 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 what was going on with the characters, the dialogue of the characters and stuff like that. So, you know, there's definitely different takes to the battle, but I was really appreciating seeing the space battle and all of its awesomeness unfold in this book. It was really cool. Yeah, I agree. Like the, the space battles were the, the, the highlights of the book. And I think that the battle of Jakku was the culmination. Um, you think of this trilogy as one book and you, you really hit, out on a high point by the time you get to the end of it. And it's something that we already know. Right. We already know as um, as Star Wars fans, we know the Battle of Jakku, especially if you've been up on the, the, the games and the books and the comics. You know what this is. And so by seeing it from another perspective, you're, you're looking forward to that. You, this is where it's going. You can see this is where it's going. Uh, they they broadcast that abundantly in Victory's Price. Said that force that we are a year out. We know we're a year out. The forces are building at Jakku. They said it a few times, um, and so you're like, okay, so this is where we're going to end this book. We're going to end it at the Battle of Jakku, and 
Um, sure enough, right. it, it doesn't. There disappoint. was a cool moment where Hera uh, saves an Imperial Star Destroyer. Uh, it's one from the planet because of the two hundred fourth, two hundred fourth. We're trying to take it out, and they turn on her because she's part of the New Republic, and so she is literally forced to shoot down the Star Destroyer she just sh- saved from Shadow Wing, like. The frustration that she had, like I, I felt every moment of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough decision to make, saving yeah. your enemies, siding with life. That's totally a Hera thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we get to the uh, moment where Will gets hit by Sita in her bomb, like I, th- I, I thought he died. Like when that moment happened. Uh, I was honestly surprised that they made him live. I, it affected him from that point on. He was definitely, you know, handicapped. Um, you know, he had survived, but it definitely changed him. Um, the end became kind of somber. Like, you know, that it, it was a no-win situation because of how Freed wrote both sides, right? You know, you, you could relate to the Imperials just as much as you could relate to the New Republic. And then when you get to the Battle of Jakku and everything the Emperor Palpatine has put in motion and what it's doing for the Imperial side, you really kind of feel for him because they were completely trapped. And, you know, Soren tried to do what he could to help them out by getting them into a position where, you know, maybe they get pulled into the First uh, Order, but it, it doesn't happen for him. You know, they, they end up being caught out in the battle and it all ends up going just as you would think it would. Yeah, Will's trajectory is actually really interesting at the end there because all his efforts to try to befriend Shadow Squadron work in his favor because he is crashed on the planet and somebody is walking up to him like on Jakku and it turns out it's a member of Shadow Squadron who recognizes Will and they end up walking together to be saved on 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 the desert planet and so it's it's one of those like well, I guess that turned out right. in, in the end. In the end, is kind of lackluster. I mean, we jump into the future a few times. We never see Nath or Kairos again. Uh, Will became a senator. Like you said, he had the boyfriend. He even broke up with said boyfriend. He meets up with Quell, uh, Quell and Chas about six years later. They're now the couple. Yeah. It's like they jump a year several years then six years like there's several jumps in time right. at the end and we'll ask quell to meet with the person who had family on necrosis and wants to talk to quell she says yes goes home sneaks out takes a ship into orbit and back and the end i mean what a weird ending <laughs> uh you know and i i almost feel like at this point it's a good point for freed to kind of maybe take a break relax a little bit from Star Wars, think of some new ideas, come at it again. I I feel like, you know, he's got a lot of talent and he's got a lot of skill, but he's also got to refine his style a little. I mean, you know, there was just a lot going on that makes remembering the story really hard. You know, there were so many little things spread out that, like, the big things blurred in with all the other things that you forget about. You know, is it, I had to take looking at my show notes to remember the names of the battles, even though the battles were all major moments of each book. Yeah, like like I said, I think his biggest problem is that he's mm-hmm. so wordy. And the f- funny thing is, it, you can tell he's a guy who likes words. He likes, um, he likes the way that words sound, and you really get this in the names of the <laughs> chapter titles. 
because that's where he kind of goes all out with chapter titles that don't really mean anything to the story, but kind of do. Right. Um, but they all have very big words in them. Um, like, I, I just opened uh, Victory's Price to a random chapter, chapter 17. It, chapter 21 is Confessions like, Under Duress. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one was Obfuscation uh, of something, and I'm like, these are like... A lot of the words, like, I'm overly educated, and a lot of the words, I don't know what means. Right? <laughs> like, celebration of innocence. Enduring scars of flesh and spirit. <laughs> but he it, it's clearly, he's he's somebody that just likes the way that words sound. And mm-hmm. um, it, can, it, it can be daunting to somebody who doesn't, <laughs> who doesn't want to deal with it. Right, well, and, and there's one that gets to me, right? Hera, she's always naming her things. Ghost, Phantom, Spectres, Phoenix Squadron, Phoenix Group. She's got her own battle group. You'd think she'd coin a name for it? No, oh, it's got a name. The Barma Battle Group. What? <laughs> what the? <laughs> like that? That's not what I would expect from a... Like, no, it's got to have like, like some kind of... Ghostly name, man. They're all, they're all like that. Didn't work for me. I was like, that just that's not a hair thing. Um, on a scale one to ten, for me, I would say this is a four point five, maybe a five. Uh, the thing the book has in its favor, hundred percent, Harrison Dula. <laughs> Uh, you get a glimpse of what she's doing to this time frame. I think that's cool. Uh, the third book, like I said, it really makes up for you know everything that we didn't get of her, but we really get to see what was going on with the New Republic side with her fleet. Uh, it really ends up being more about her fleet versus Shadowing, which makes me question, again, the title of Alphabet Squadron. I really feel like the name of this book just did not work for what we got in the story. Like The name, I think, was probably the biggest disservice to it all. Um, yeah, it dealt with the characters that were in Alphabet Squadron, but like we mentioned by the third book, Alphabet Squadron really isn't a functional squadron at that point. Um, I think that this book could have been marketed a lot better if they had just put the focus more on Hera and the events than it did the characters, which is odd because like, you know, I guess that's not odd. We have been complaining that since Canon took over more of the books are character studies and less about the events. Yes. And I guess that this is true to form, even though it is new characters. Yeah. Uh, I just found a couple of more chapters that I enjoy the titles of a moral prioritization of objectives <laughs> and unflinching acceptance of logical conclusions. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so overall, I basically what I would do is I, um, I've said this before. My baseline rating out of 10 is a 7. If you don't impress me, but you don't piss me off, I give you a 7. If, if, I, don't, if I don't come away feeling anything, I, you get a 7 because that's, a, that, that's where, I, where I sit. Um, basically a C. Mm, you're kind of like Monica on Friends, right? 7, 7, 7. Yeah, so you, you, get, a, you get a C um, if you're mediocre. Mm-hmm. Pretty much what it is. The first book I gave a six because I really did not like it, but it, I can see where it could be a good book. It just wasn't for me. 
Mm-hmm. The second book I gave a seven because it was better than the first book. It did have its uh, the fl- major flaws at the beginning um, where I had to listen to it twice. Like, you shouldn't have a book where it's so um, so hard to get into that you have to listen to it twice just to figure out what it's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, the third book I gave an eight because I enjoyed it so much more than the other ones. I don't know if I gave it an eight because it was so much better than the other ones, but or I just I just I legit enjoyed it. Like I feel like I legit enjoyed it, but right, you have to weigh it against the other ones. And right. if, if I could recommend that third book by itself, I would, but I don't think you can. I don't like, like I understand where you're coming from, where um, you get them in on the third book and then they go back. I don't think it would have the same impact going in on the third book without reading the first two. Probably, probably. Um, uh, yeah, overall, like I guess it averages out to a seven <laughs> at, at, for a trilogy, but it, it it's it's so all over the place that it's hard to give it one score. You're like it it ranges from a four to an eight. Like right. <laughs> that's, that, that's exactly how it feels. Like you, it is a roller coaster ride of a, uh, of a story. I I would go Alphabet Squad in book one was probably a three. Shadowfall a four, and Victor's Price a seven. And I'd still stay at a four point five five for all. But yeah, Victory's Price was definitely the highlight of all of these. Um, and yeah, like for me, I, I get back to I, I still think. For myself, with what we get out of this book, I would prefer this trilogy over Aftermath. Um, but I, I love the fact that you're on the other side of that fence because, uh, you know, like I, I really thoroughly did not like Aftermath. So when I make that statement, it, it seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> but to have you to bounce off of, I think it gives the listeners more of a, a full central point of view. Yeah, definitely. Like it, when I listened, like I know Nate and you had very similar feelings on uh, Aftermath or uh, yeah, Aftermath. But whereas Nate and I had very similar feelings on the, the first Alphabet Squadron book. So it's it's uh, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's good to have differing opinions, but it's not like I can understand the differing opinions. I can understand where you're coming from. Um, right. It's not like you're just hating it because it was stupid. <laughs> it was Windig. Screw that noise. So, and you know, I've been a big fan of covers, right? So, you know, what's weird about these is the color of the hard covers. So you get the first one, right? Pull that beautiful Yurik Quill uh, cover off and it's a purple book. Pretty. It's got the little gold type, uh, you know, alphabet squadron. You get the Shadowfall. You're a light purple book. Instead of gold font, now it's silver font. Okay. You get to the third book, and we're now blue. Maybe a purplish blue, but it's blue, like a dark blue. Back to the gold. Like, I don't understand the difference. It's like, do we just have, like, a dartboard, and and it doesn't matter if you're doing books in a series or just a random one book. You just throw the darts at the board, and whatever you get, that's what we're going to cover it. Because, like, with the Thrawn books, it at least made sense. They were like, hey, let's make them all chiss blue. We could do blue on the outside of the cover of the book. We could do, you know, red for the font, because, you know, his eyes are red. That made sense. I've never really understood what makes them choose the colors, and then in this ser- this series, you know, why you'd have two of them purple, but the third one's not purple. Like, what the hell? Stupid stuff that I hang on. 
I guess I, I leave the dust jackets on. And since I listen to the audiobooks, I do buy the hardcovers but, um, for my collection. But uh, I use it mainly to do the timelining and stuff. It's easier to mark uh, pages when I actually have the physical books and mm. for the collection. And so I, right. don't, I don't ever take off the dust jackets um, because I don't read them. Smart, and, smart. And it's, uh, I, but like looking, I can definitely see your issue. I'm like, you're right. That is a, like a pastel purple, a, a, like a more lavender purple. And yeah, that one's blue. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's almost purplish shade, like kind of. And, and saying I take those off because I tend to beat the hell out of them. Like I, I'll take the hardcover and I put it in my bag for work. And so the corners get all beat to hell as it's in my backpack. So I take the dust jacket off. So when I put it back on my shelf, when I'm done, it don't look like I've beat the hell out of the book. <laughs> well, that's a uh, hardcovers that I, I, I will read. Um, uh, I collect uh, every man's uh, library hardcovers. I'll throw out the dust jackets. Actually. I don't, uh, um, I like it the way they look because they, they're more uniform without the dust jackets. And so, uh, I, I perfectly understand that feeling because you're right. If you leave the dust jackets on, they do get beaten up. Right. And and I mean, I've always been intrigued with because, you know, the old Del Rey, they were almost all black. You know, it was like the, the one thing that changed was, was it silver or gold in the font? <laughs> you know, uh, so it's always been something that's interested me. And then, you know, in the recent years, they've gotten more colorful with the covers and stuff going with the white ones, the different ones and stuff. So I'm like. It's always been a process that's interested me. I've always enjoyed the covers in general. Um, I like how with each of these covers, it's got like the A thing going or it almost looks like the uh, ally flag. <laughs> you know, it's got like the, the triangles are, are the repeated theme in all of them. And you've got starfighters, you know, flying in the background. The first one, you got Yurika Quell. The second one, you got Chas. And the last one, you got Will. And honestly, Will in the third one, he looks like he's in his 40s. That, I think that was part of my issue with his character. It's like up to the first two books, he's always described like he's 15. And then all of a sudden the third book comes and we're like, hey, he's 40 going on 50. <laughs> Wait, what? Actually, looking at all three covers at once, what doesn't make sense is that the first book we have um, a big blow up of uh, Quell. And in the middle of your A, they have an X-Wing because she flies mm-hmm. an X-Wing. Right. In the third book, Victory's Price, you have a big blow up of Will. In the middle of the A is the A Wing because he flies. Yep. Yep. You, you fill this in. This is where he, what I'm because he flies an A Wing. An A Wing. Oh. Yes. All right. And so, and on the second book, which is a, a big book about Chas, um, you have a big picture of Chas, and in the middle of the A, it has. A tri-wing of TIE fighters? That don't work. No, that's not what I said. I, what? What? No, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you're looking at it like, why is there three TIE fighters in the middle of the A and the B-wing is now above it? But they went like if they had uh, and it's a middle book. So it's like the first and the third book makes sense. And the middle book is like, but but why didn't you put the B-wing in there? Right. And the first one doesn't have a TIE fighter one. <laughs> Oh, just, yeah, interesting. Interesting. It's, it's like they're trying. <laughs> right? Oh, uh, yeah. Good times, Jim. Good times. Do we have anything else about Alphabet Squadron? Or is it that time? I, yeah, I don't have anything else. I, I, overall, I 
probably would recommend it, but with the caveat that it takes a very long time to get into, and you may hate the first book. So take that as, as a grain of salt uh, going in. Right. Um, I probably won't recommend these. You're like, nope, not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine that um, at the end of the day, there's so many other Star Wars books. You're looking at right. what? hundreds of Star Wars books by this point yep. with Legends and, and Canon together that I, I don't think I could I could recommend these to anyone. I, I The only way I would recommend these is if you want to know more about Jakku or if you want to know more about Hera. Um, both of those, I would recommend at least the third book. <laughs> That's yeah, and then and I've said my piece on that. Um, yep. Recommending only the third book, right. it just doesn't. I, I feel like you won't get it's what you should definitely. Out of it. Yeah, you, especially with Yell, uh, Quell's character, because the whole back and forth and stuff, you're gonna automatically know like there was there was no back and forth for her. She was just hiding it from us, the reader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Reports website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher as well as Spotify and iTunes. And as always, we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films or type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars questions or Legends questions, you can comment to us. Just email us directly at SW beyond films at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we want to mention to you our sponsors audible if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport you get a free trial run of audible to see what they're all about our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore the star wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because audible members they can exchange any book within 12 months yes that's one year with no questions asked. They don't even care if you don't like the cover. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making a switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Jim, and not Porgy today. <laughs> Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we won't try again to fit as many books into one episode as we can. Coming up, the entire New Jedi Order I, 19 book series in one episode. I was in-depth analysis. Just think, I was like, man, we're like a year behind on that. It's been a year since we recorded book one. If we continue this rate, it will be done in 40 years. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, I, I can see that, uh, that going over well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm glad people aren't like, where's my new Jedi Order coverage? Yeah, we've been slacking on that. But it's hard when you've got so many books out right now. New Republic, yeah, know. dumping yeah, all li- sorts Literally of like a book a month almost that they're doing. Right, and the High Republic is just flying through it right now. 
just like oh yes, we have a book we have a book next month uh ronin comes out next month and then thrawn the month after that and then uh the new high republic set comes out in january i am shocked that we got the ronin book like i mean i knew about the, the tv show okay but the fact that they are giving us brand new non-canon content without a legends label that's not what they said jim that's not what they said <laughs> well they from what i heard uh matt martin had commented on uh instagram this is that it's not that it's not canon it's just that it is canon that doesn't connect to anything else until it connects to something else. And that's what the Ronin novel, I feel, is doing, is it's pulling those stories into canon by referencing them. Or at least the one story, because there are nine shorts and visions, and so Ronin only connects to one of those. Oh, I see how it is. They're like, oh, an argument could be made that this could be placed under Legends in the non-canon category. Hey, we got to tie this stuff to the canon to make that not the case. Heaven forbid we show any love to Legends. Yeah, I'd say it's closer to canon than it is the Legends, and it'll get ever closer as more people kind of acknowledge them and bring them. I just... Man, if you're going to write stuff that doesn't connect to canon, give me some legends! I need it. I need it. I need my fix. Damn it. Jim, I need it. <laughs> I can tell. You're twitching. Uh, it could be the monster. I've had three already. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Sounds good, man. I will uh, get this edited sometime this week. I won't sit on it as long as the last one since we did this <laughs> one out so late. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Right, yeah, that's what I said. That's Whenever you get time, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to actually stop it. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, my man. 